0: May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us, that your way may be known on earth, your saving power among all nations. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you judge the peoples with equity and guide the nations upon the earth. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. The earth has yielded its increase, God, our God, shall bless us. God shall bless us. Let all the ends of the earth fear him. Father God, thank you for your word. Thank you for this day. Thank you for Pastor Mike, Elder Mike, and the great wisdom that he will impart because of the Holy Spirit that is so obviously indwelt within him. May your word be nourishment to our souls. In Jesus' name, amen.
1: Thank you, Kim. And the official title for elders here is Pastor Elder, so either of those works. (laughs) No problem. I have been looking forward to this passage and to this Sunday for weeks, because when uh, we discussed the summer series and decided to land on a psalm series, and uh, we were asked, is there one you would especially want to unpack? And at church, my hand went up right away, and I chose this psalm. And to understand why, uh, you need to know a little bit about our background, my wife and myself. So let me fill you in on us a little bit, and it'll maybe uh, explain why this Sunday is such a significant one for us. Uh, Our background as a couple is very, very full of missions work. We were uh, sent out by a church in Southern California uh, in 1987 to be church planting missionaries. Initially in Cameroon, West Africa, where we served for two years. And then we were transferred to France, similar language in those two places, where we served for nine years. Both of our daughters were born in France and raised in French schools. Our oldest daughter is a French teacher in high school to this day. Uh, Cross-cultural life and ministry was a huge part of our lives, and, and still is, because we were brought back from France to another church in Southern California in 2001, where I was invited to serve as the mission's pastor of that church. Uh, It was a large church that had become a megachurch, if you're familiar with that term, but they had uh, had made very little impact around the world. From their perspective, uh, embarrassingly small international footprint of their ministry, because nobody had really been a catalyst within the church for that kind of outreach. So they invited us to come back after supporting us and praying for us for 15 years and getting to know us, because they were part of our, our lives, They invited us to come back so I could mobilize that church into becoming what's called a sending church, a church that doesn't just think about the world or pray for the world, but actually sends people out into the world with the gospel of Jesus. We spent 13 years there, had a wonderful time. Uh, At at the close of that ministry, we moved here to Prescott where I had a a small role in the international ministry of another church here in town. And then uh, five years ago, we were invited by the agency under which we served to become part of a team that provided pastoral care and encouragement to their missionaries. There there are to this day over 170 of them scattered in over 30 nations around the world. So for the last five years, my wife and I have been part of that team whose goal it is to care for people, to pour into people who pour into others is sort of our philosophy. We take care of those who take care of others. We've been doing that for five years now. For the last two and a half years, I directed that team, until two weeks ago, when I semi-retired. <laughs> stepped away. We haven't even announced that here yet. This is, you're, you're getting this news for the first time. Uh, we st- I stepped away from the leadership role, uh, the organizational leadership role that demanded a lot of international travel. As you might know, uh, in the last 10 months or so, I was in Panama, I was in Thailand, I was in Albania, all for the purpose of getting together with missionaries who were gathering. Uh, That became a little tiring. (laughs) I don't travel like I used to, and I never traveled well. So I didn't mind handing off that side of of that work. But we use the word semi-retired because we are still involved in encouraging missionaries through Zoom on a regular basis. Had several Zoom appointments this week with people around the world. And we are still welcoming folks into our home, uh, missionaries who need some rest, which I'll talk about in just a few minutes. So that's why we use the word semi-retired. And I want you folks to know that, because as I'll mention later, you are part of our ministry. Uh, Union Church adopted us a couple of years ago uh, as supported workers of yours. And every month, some of what you give ends up going to our agency to cover our ministry, and we're grateful for that. So I want you to be aware of that change, although it is continuing in a lot of ways. So that is why uh, when I turn to Psalm 67... And I see what God's saying here. My heart starts to beat faster. My blood starts to pump. Uh, I, I get a little anxious, a little nervous. a little, Okay, well, this, is, this is what it's about. Which is why when the opportunity came up to volunteer to, to preach it, I, I jumped at it quickly. And I want us to understand the big picture of this passage. And not, not this passage alone, much of the Bible gives this message. But the big idea of Psalm 67 is this. Magical slide. There it is. big idea is when it comes to God's plan, it's about us, but it's about much more than us. That phrase is a message the Bible gives to God's people, drives into the heads and hearts of God's people from literally Genesis to Revelation. And we're going to survey a lot of that today. Because we are so prone as human beings to think it's about me. And I'm glad it's about me. I'm glad God loves me. I'm glad he saves me. I'm glad he gives me eternal life. But when we enjoy all those wonderful individual blessings, and even corporate blessings of God's people, we can lose sight that God has a bigger goal in mind. And Psalm 67 is one of the many passages in the Bible that reminds us of that. We're going to look at that today, obviously about halfway through the Bible, right smack in the middle. And this psalm begins with what would have been a very familiar beginning to its original readers among the people of Israel. That first verse, I'll just read it, it's not on the screen, but it says, may God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us. If you were an Israelite at the temple, hearing that being read aloud, it would be both familiar and surprising. It's familiar because the words there, not not the exact order, but the, the flavor of that word's brings to mind the high priestly blessing that was a regular part of the worship of the people of Israel uh, in the temple. It was given to the high priest Aaron back in the book of Numbers. As the people of Israel had been freed from Egypt, they were heading into the wandering in the wilderness. God was preparing them to be his chosen people, the people into whom he poured his truth. And he was setting up this communication with them. And part of that was this priestly blessing that Aaron was given to pronounce over the people of Israel on a regular basis. And here's what that is in Numbers Numbers chapter 6. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Probably pretty familiar words for many of us. If you have a Jewish background, very familiar words. If not, still, oh yeah, I've heard that before, either in snatches or maybe the entire set of it. And like I said, if you were an Israelite, you'd have heard it daily if you were at the temple. This was in the fabric of the worship of the people of Israel. And there's beautiful concepts in there, uh, concepts that are reflected not just in that high priestly blessing, but in a variety of other passages of scripture. Psalm 4 says, lift up the light of your face upon us, O Lord. The idea of God's face shining on his people is found in in verses like that. Uh, Psalm 80, three times we find the phrase, make your face shine on us. And I find that to be a beautiful image. An image that isn't unfamiliar to us today either. There are certain videos on social media for which I am a sucker. Uh, A good proposal video I'll watch five or six times. <laughs> if the guy pulls it off well and it's beautiful and it's emotional, I'll, oh, that was wonderful, I'll go back and watch it again. Those are among my favorites. But maybe my second favorite is the, the newborn baby pictures. right? They're in the hospital. The mom's lying in the bed, a little disheveled. (laughs) She's been through a bit, it's obvious. But she's holding that newborn baby in her arms. And the dad is leaning down and smiling, saying, Look what I did. Yeah, he's he's all proud of his contribution. (laughs) She, She just did 24 hours of work. But they're loving that baby. And as they sometimes, the mother's not looking at the camera, she's looking at her child. And the the beauty of that moment and the shining face of a mom on her newborn is stunning. And again, I I look forward to those. I'll watch them sometimes or look at them many, many times. I want us to, as a little tangent here, put ourselves into that picture a little bit. Can you picture God holding you in his arms and his face shining on you the way that mom's face shines on her baby? that God's treasuring of you as his child is as huge as beautiful as wondrous as and more so than that human mom showing her human love to that human baby God's divine love his face shining on us as his people ooh i just got goosebumps <laughs> it's a beautiful image and it's more than an image it's it's reality and that's why I think God wanted this blessing to be so normal in the life of the people of Israel. I want you to hear this regularly, because this, this is how I see you. This is how much I love you. This is how much I care for you. So, as I said, there's a familiar part to this beginning of Psalm 67. That terminology would bring to mind the high priestly blessing that mattered so much to them. But there's also a twist, there's also a surprise. Because you might have noticed that this verse 1 only includes about half of the blessing. It stops before the Numbers passage stops. It doesn't go through to the end of the high priestly blessing. There's something left out. It ends too early, and in place of that, there's that word selah. A little mysterious word, to be honest. Uh, people have assumptions about what it means. We have a pretty good idea of what it means. It seems to mean, when it appears, and it often does in the Psalms, It seems to be a moment of stopping and resting and reflecting. a pause, if you will. Why would there be a pause at this point in Psalm 67? Well, before I answer that question, I, I want to let you know that, that word Selah. It became a big part of what we do in our ministry to our guests. I mentioned to you we have folks who come and stay with us in our home right around the corner. Uh, we have guests staying with us right now, in fact, and they walked to church this morning because <laughs> we live that close. Uh, in fact, they're dear friends of ours. They're serving in a place I can't name out loud because this service is gonna be online. And I can't say their names, because where they serve is a sensitive place, but we can welcome them anyway. Would you guys stand up and just let these folks see you? Uh, these are folks who are with us this week. Your ministry to them is ongoing this week. That's why I wanted them to get a chance to, to be seen. But as we, when we first set up that ministry and began inviting people who needed rest into our home, we just called it the guest suite, because we're that creative. <laughs> we put guests there, we'll call it the guest suite. And I was reading the Psalms one day, and that word popped out. And I said, ooh, what a great name for our hospitality house. So we we call that the Selah suite, because we want our friends to come and Selah, and rest, and reflect, and pause. So in this Psalm, that's what is called upon. Into verse 1, your Bible might even have the word in there, Selah. Why is it there? Why did the writer, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, insert this pause? It's the equivalent of finishing the Lord's Prayer early. Imagine if you were in church, uh, and we pray the Lord's Prayer at the end of our services right now. Uh, what if it went like this? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. And it stopped. How would you respond? It'd get your attention, wouldn't it? wait a minute, that's unexpected. (laughs) There must be something. What's going on here? What's coming next? It it increases the anticipation. You want to to hear what's next. It's going to be a surprise. And I think that's what's happening here at the beginning of Psalm 67 as well. That sense of anticipation and expectation and curiosity. Because what follows is that twist I mentioned. I'm going to put 2 through 5 back up on the screen. Because it's the meat of this psalm. And as I read it again, I want you to look for any changes you might be able to notice between verse 1 and now verses 2 through 5. After that, Selah pause. Here's what it says. That your way may be known on earth, your saving power among all nations. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy. For you judge the peoples with equity and guide the nations upon earth. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Those words are the meat of the sandwich of Psalm 67. And this is where we're going to spend most of our time right now. Did you notice anything different between verse 1 and verses 2 through 5? There's a couple that jumped out at me. Small but very important changes. One is it shifted from the third person talking about God to the second person talking to God. It went from saying, May his face shine on us, to saying, May your ways be known in all the earth. Friends, as we read God's Word, I hope we train our our, our minds to notice these little changes because they aren't accidental. They have a purpose. Uh, They're there for a reason. And Psalm 23 is a, a the best example of this kind of change. The first three verses of Psalm 23 are well known and beautiful. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, he makes me lie down, he guides me, he leads me, he restores me. Third person, as if a a, a lamb is talking to another lamb across a fence in a field, bragging about how good the shepherd is. You ought to see how great my shepherd is. And then verse four comes along and the whole thing changes in tone. Instead of a beautiful field and, and, and quiet waters, there's a valley of the shadow of death and there's enemies you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. And, but it's not third person anymore, it's second person. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Again, that's not an accident. I think when it shifts from talking about God to talking to God, it becomes more intimate, in some ways more powerful. As an example, uh, my wife and I have two daughters, and we love to talk about them. And when I talk about my girls to somebody else and talk about my, how proud I am of them and my dreams for their future, that's a, that's a significant moment. But when I talk to my girls about how proud I am of them, I'm so glad you got that job. I'm so proud of the way you raise your kids. I'm, I'm, I'm so pleased with the, the, the person you've become. That's even more intimate and even more powerful. And I think that's one of the impacts of this change here in this psalm. It increases intimacy, but... Maybe the the more obvious change, not quite as subtle as that one, is the focus changes from verse 1 to verses 2 through 5. Changes from a focus on us, in this case being the people of Israel, the chosen people of God, a focus on us to a focus on the rest of the world. And that's maybe the more obvious of the two changes, and one that I, I really think would have caught in the ear of the Israelite listener by surprise. It's as if the writer of the psalm thought, under the, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, if I finish the blessing, it'll be all about us. There's nothing wrong with that. Being about us is, is a good thing. But the purpose of the blessing of God's people is to go beyond the us, to touch the rest of the world. It's clear from the beginning and the end of the, of the Bible that God blesses his people not just for their sake, but for the sake of everyone around them. That when God reached out and decided to choose a people for himself and call them to himself, his goal wasn't just them. It was much broader than them. Uh, There's a a quote that I really like from a man named David Guzik who addressed this this big change, and and he said it this way. The psalmist had a beautiful scope in mind, not just Jerusalem, not just Judea, not just all of Israel, not just all the Middle East. Not just all the Mediterranean world, not just his continent or hemisphere, but all the earth. God wants us to have the same heart and the same vision for all the earth in our day. We're going to get to that idea of this psalm in just a couple of minutes. So that's a very obvious change, a very powerful one. And in this section that focuses on the rest of the world, a a, a phrase appears twice, the exact same phrase. Let all the peoples praise you. Let the peoples praise you. Let all the peoples praise you. Verse 3 and verse 5 say the exact same thing. I hope we know that when when God repeats himself in the Bible, it's it's the old version of bold font or underlining or don't miss this. (laughs) Okay. They didn't have any other way in the day to say this idea really matters. And the truth is God doesn't have to repeat himself, right? He says it once, that's enough. It's true. Log it in your brain and believe it, obey it, trust it. When he repeats himself, he's saying this is a big deal. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Double underlined. <laughs> okay, That's the way the Bible communicates these ideas. And, 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 and these two phrases jump out for a purpose. They're there to remind Israel it's about you, but it's not just about you. Uh, and and it, it's a way for him to say, all the nations of the earth owe their praise and their worship to God. And we have to realize what a radical idea that was in the day. Because Israel existed in a monotheistic environment, as the world was completely all around the world, until the days of the Israelites. Go back to your Greek mythology or your Roman gods, There were a bunch of them, right? They were all over the place, and and they were kind of gross. (laughs) They were kind of a lot like us in too many human ways. But it was common, and it was normal in that day for there to be assumed by all the peoples of the world, there's a god here and a god there and a god there, and they even assumed there were territories belonging to those different gods. I I was reading in in 1 Kings recently, and there was a war between a king named Ben-Hadad, And the the city of Samaria. And in the first battle of this war, Israel won and and Ben-Hadad lost. But he made the assumption, well, we probably fought that battle on their God's turf. Their God is the God of the hillsides. So let's now set up shop in the plain, in the valley. Because maybe their God isn't strong in the valley. He's just a God in, in, in the hills. Maybe we'll win here. They didn't. (laughs) Okay, newsflash. God is no less strong in the valleys than he is in the hillsides. But that was the assumption in the day. Let's fight the battle on our God's turf. And when Israel comes along, and they use phrases like this, let all the nations praise you. The nations that live on hillsides and those that live in valleys. Nations on the coast and nations in the inland. Nations near us and nations all around the world. They all should worship the God of Israel. Radical concept in the day. Unbelievable concept. The idea of one true God, worthy of worship by all the peoples of the earth, was drastically different in the day. So don't take it lightly when we hear that phrase. Let all the peoples praise you. That is a claim made by the people of Israel that their God is the God of the entire world. And it was radical in its time. And let's face it, it's still radical today, right? In a world that will tell us, well, I'm glad you found your God. I'm glad you're happy with the system you've discovered. And I'm glad it brings you good. And it, because it's about you. And, and if it's good for you, more power to you. But don't assume, how dare you assume, that I should worship your God. That people who were born in a whole different culture should bow the knee to your God. Isn't that a little arrogant? Isn't that a little exclusive? Well, it's not arrogant, but yes, it is exclusive. That's what our Bible tells us. And as we'll see in a little bit, that's what the Bible tells us where history is going. So, in the middle of these two identical verses, let all the peoples praise you, we find the reason for their praise in verse 4. Let the nations be glad. and Oh, I I forgot a quote by Spurgeon, didn't I? Throw that up, will you, Cody? Yeah, Charles Spurgeon talks about the repetition of that phrase. He says this, Famous British preacher. These words are no vain repetition, but are a chorus worthy to be sung again and again. The great theme of the psalm is the participation of the Gentiles, the non-Israelites, in the worship of Jehovah. The psalmist is full of it. He hardly knows how to contain his joy. That's what This psalm is overflowing with that enthusiasm. Our God is so good, and he's the true one. All the peoples ought to praise him. And then in the middle of verse 4, it says what what they should praise him for, that he's a good God. The nations should be glad and sing for joy because of how good this God is. If there were only one universal, all-powerful God, and he was a mean tyrant who hated people, that would be bad news. But the fact is, the God of Israel, the God of of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, the God of the church is a loving and good God, and there's reason when we follow him and know him to sing for joy. Pastor John Piper wrote a classic book on missions, and he took the title for it out of this psalm, Let the Nations Be Glad. And this is what uh, John Piper says about this idea. The goal of missions is the gladness of the peoples in the greatness of God all of history is moving toward one great goal, the white-hot worship of God and his Son among all the people of the earth. Friends, that is the goal and has been the goal. And the question rings out from this idea, how are they going to know? What systems has God put in place so all these scattered nations around the world, ever since the Tower of Babel, they've been all over the world and they can't talk to each other, what's his plan to make himself known in all those corners of the world. We'll get to that in just a minute. Truth is, you probably know the answer already, but preachers like to pretend they're suspense, <laughs> so bear with me on that. Alright, this idea is consistent by the way, with the overall thrust of the Bible from beginning to end, as I said. The very day that God makes clear, I'm choosing a people for myself, in Genesis chapter 12, he comes down to one man, Abram. And he introduces himself to Abram, and he says, here's my plan for you. I'm going to make you into a great nation. But he makes it clear from the very first conversation he has with Abram, he says, it's about you, but not just about you. It's about the nation that will be born from you and your wife, but not just about those people. In you, he says, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. Psalm 46, a very famous verse that reflects the same idea. That God's plan is global from the beginning. He says, Be still and know that I am God. One of, a lot of people's favorite verse. It's up on wall plaques around the world. Songs are written with those words Be still and know that I am God. What drives me nuts is we stop there. There's not even a period, I don't think, in most Bibles. There's a, there's a comma. <laughs> because he goes on to say, I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted on all the earth. Not just you be still. Not just you know that I am God. This message is for everybody. Starting with your next door neighbor and going all around the globe. Let they also, let them be still and know that I am God. So friends, that's the plan. And and in the New Testament, it gets ramped up even more. The idea that the the world, God has a plan for the world is clear in the Old Testament. But with with the exception of Jonah, Most outreach in the Old Testament is set up with God saying, they'll come to you. The nations will come to you because they will see how good I am to you and how much you're thriving and and, and how powerful you are. And they will come, and many did. And they got to know the God of Israel and left impressed and seeing him in a new light. But it was people coming to you. Be ready when they come. Then Jesus comes and invades the earth and dies and rises again and gives a a, a mission to his church, which isn't no longer wait for them to come to you, it's now go and bring the good news to them. Go and make disciples of all the nations, he says in Matthew 28. In Acts 1, he says, go to the ends of the earth. Go and be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the uttermost parts of the earth. If you've heard that verse preached about in in American churches in the past, chances are good when you pictured uttermost parts of the earth, you pictured places all over, places where I visited this couple once many years ago (laughs) in Asia, that from our perspective, that's the uttermost parts. But when you look at a globe, Jesus is talking in Jerusalem, guess what, Arizona is the uttermost parts of the earth compared to where Jesus was when he said that sentence. It's already happening. It's been happening for centuries. This good news of the gospel of Jesus is being spread. We live in the ends of the earth, and as we've received that good news, it's our job to pass it on as well. And what strikes me every time I read those gospel passages is that Jesus gave that command and that mission, an overwhelming idea. We're supposed to do what? To to men who had probably never been more than 80 miles from their home. To them, he said... Go to the nations. Go to the world. Did you know that the life of Jesus took place, the earthly life of Jesus took place in a, in a geographical area about the distance from Prescott to Phoenix? That's where Jesus lived. That's where he spoke. That's where he did his miracles. And that's where he said, I've got a message for the whole world, people. And they didn't have airplanes, and they didn't have boats, and they didn't have the internet. They had feet, okay, and an ability to write, And that message has been spread by feet and writing for 2,000 years now. And it's covering the globe. But if I'd been there that day, when Jesus gave those words to his disciples, I'd have said, what did he say? Did I hear that right? Did, Did you hear that right? Did he tell us he wants us to go to the whole world? What is he thinking? He's thinking what he's been thinking since he called Abraham. Since he formed the people of Israel, since he had Psalm 67 written, let the nations be glad. And he says to his disciples, and now he says to us, you're part of that mission. You're part of that project. You've got a role to play. We'll get to that in just a minute. To end the psalm, there's a real powerful summary in verses 6 and 7. The blessing of verse 1 is repeated and clarified. It's, in this case, a blessing of wonderful, thriving harvest God is referred to not just as God, but as our God. God, our God, will bless us. Can you call God your God? If you can, it means you're aware that he's holding you and his face is shining on you. It means you're aware he died for your sins and rose again. It means you're aware that he's reserved a place for you at his table in heaven forever. And it means you're ready to embrace the mission he gave. To all who call him our God. And then the psalm ends with a repetition of that beautiful phrase. God will bless us. It is about us. Let all the ends of the earth fear him. It's about much more than us. So let's let's look at what this means to us today. And we'll close with just a couple of ideas. It's a fair question to ask. How is this project going since this psalm was written probably 3,000 years ago? How's stuff doing so far? Well, between the writing of the psalm and, and the time of Christ's arrival about a thousand years later, not much changed, quite frankly. Oh, there were people coming, like the Queen of Sheba, to Jerusalem and amazed, impressed at the beauty and the wisdom. and uh, Yeah, yeah his, he got some things done in the Old Testament, but since Jesus came and died and rose again, things have really taken off. In the last 300 years, they've accelerated beyond what any of those original 11 men would have been expecting, as the good news of Jesus scattered around the world. As I mentioned, part of our ministry right now involves being up to speed on one on some level of what God is doing around the world. And this week, I got to Zoom with workers among Asian immigrants in the New England. Among, we zoomed with a couple in Indonesia. Zoom with a lady whose ministry impacts the Middle East. We have guests in our home right now, as I mentioned, who've been all over Asia and lead ministries in, in those places. And the bottom line is this, friends. God, our God, is on the move. And he's impacting parts of the corners of the world his disciples would have been stunned to know about. And the question is a valid one. What is our part in this project? Of God, it's been around from the beginning. What is our part as a group, as a Union Church? What, what's our role? Well, there's a couple of ways we've stepped up as a church. I've already mentioned your support for us, for which we're grateful. We're also preparing a team right now uh, to head to the Philippines, where Anthony and Beth served several years ago. Here's that team. They've been training for a while. Michaela, Beth, and Anthony, and Jeff and Bree. Are, are Jeff and Bree here? I, or Michaela, I didn't check ahead of time. I should have asked. Anyway, they're preparing October 18th through 30th, so just about a month from now. They're going to get on planes, and they're going to head back to the Philippines to some of the folks that Beth and Anthony know and love and, and keep close to their hearts. And they're going to reach out to their neighborhood and, and their communities and their towns. And that's Union Church saying, let the nations be glad and sing for joy. In this case, the nation of the Philippines. Friends, who knows how else God is going to mobilize us as a group to to pray and to impact and to send and and to let the nations be glad through what God gives to us and teaches us and the message of the gospel he gives us to pass on. We're going to take that seriously. This command, this psalm is being fulfilled before our eyes, friends, in ways in our lifetime that it hasn't in the history of the world. I wasn't sure I was going to go here, but I want to. Here's my definition of missions. We're talking about missions. I should define it, right? My definition of missions is this. God is using the preaching of the gospel around the world to turn rebellious sinners into redeemed worshipers of his son, Jesus Christ. Let me say that again. God is using the preaching of the gospel around the world to turn rebellious sinners into redeemed worshipers of his son, Jesus Christ. But it doesn't end there. It ends with, and we get to help. We get to help. We get to be part of that. And I'm glad we are already. But the second question, besides what is our part, next question is a little more personal. What is your part? This mission has been in God's heart from the beginning. What part does he want you individually, or you maybe as a family, to play in seeing this happen? I wish I had an easy answer for you. People ask me, if I speak in other places about missions, OK, what should I do? And my answer is, I don't know. (laughs) I I have no idea. There's so many possibilities. But wouldn't it be fun to discover it? Wouldn't it be fun to get intentional and say, God, there's a lot going on. And there's there's, there's needs all over the place. And I want to represent you wherever you want me to be. What is my part? That's a very, very dangerous prayer. I never would have dreamed in the 1980s as I caught up to my wife's heart for the nations, because she was way ahead of me on this. And I began feeling that same tug in me. And we began praying, Lord, what's our part? Cameroon never would have been on that list. France definitely would, have been on, would not have been on that list. My wife grew up in Germany. German and French have a history, let us just say. <laughs> and the idea that that's where God would send us? Are you kidding me? But we wouldn't have traded those years for anything. Can I invite you to be bold and just to pray that prayer? Lord, what's my part? And see how he answers. You know, there's a... Once you you recognize it's about me, but not just about me, all kinds of options open up. All kinds of horizons become clearer. All kinds of unrest settles in your heart. Be ready for that. But the end picture is so beautiful, it's so worth it. There's a a missionary named Hyatt Moore, who's also a painter. And he took the Leonardo da Vinci famous painting of the Last Supper and changed it to what he called Last Supper with Twelve Tribes. And he replaced each of the disciples with a figure representing an existing tribe around the world today. You can go to his website and he identifies each of those 12 and tells you where that person would live based on the the, the portrayal he's made of them. Who did he have in mind? And they include tribal peoples from all over the world. And he includes, of course, Revelation 5-9 that God's mission is going to be accomplished. There will be. Redeemed sinners, children of God from every tribe and tongue and people and nation, gathered in heaven at the foot of the throne, eating the merry supper of the Lamb, enjoying each other and praising the God of the nations, being glad in his presence, because God has ordained that his mission will be accomplished. Hyatt Moore has a wonderful quote as he talks about the purpose for this painting that he painted. He says this, This painting is not literal, it's symbolic. It's not about the Last Supper, it's about the next supper. The one where all the tribes of the earth will be invited. And friends, it's going to happen and we get to help. Let's pray. Lord, we want to know what our part is, plural and singular. We want to know what you've set aside for us. To move this mission forward. We're so glad that you are worthy of the worship of all the nations and we're so glad that this psalm is there. Pray for the team that's going to the Philippines in just a few weeks. Pray that their ministry would be blessed by you and your kingdom would be impacted there. Lord, show us as a group what, what's next. Show us as individuals what's next. Show us how we can bring you glory here and around the world by seeing redeemed Worshippers of Jesus Christ added to your kingdom. We'll celebrate it because it's your mission and you're worthy of it. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.